Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Praise the Lord. He's good, isn't he? So look, I'm going to get preaching this morning. We might even meddle a bit today. I don't know. This, 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 this could be a little pastoral. I'm, I'm going to try to be nice and fun, but, but we want to do a series. I've been, I was actually at some meetings a few weeks back, and while I was there, I just really felt we finished Easter, and we know we want to do a, a, big, a big deal about healing all through June, late May, early June, and in between, I was kind of thinking, what do we do, and, and we were going to do maybe some one-offs or this and that, but I just felt the Lord at this meeting say, you need to not talk about family. You need to talk about welcome home. You need to talk about the culture of who we are at Impact Church. You need to reinforce that all the time, and I said, I'll do it. I'll do do it. So, so we're going to do a series for the next six or seven weeks called Welcome Home. And uh, I just want to reinforce with us what our culture is and what our values are as a church and who we are. And, and I know you know that, but it's good to revisit them and talk about what that is. So I'm going to kind of hang my hat on, uh, you know, Jesus' favorite house. How many know Jesus had a favorite house? In Luke chapter 10, 38, it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman. Certain means it really happened. There's a real person. It was a real village. It was a real person. Her name was Martha. And Martha welcomed him into her house. Say, welcome. She welcomed him into her house. In John eleven three, this family was very precious to Jesus. And when Lazarus, their brother, was sick, they sent a note to Jesus. And when they sent the note to Jesus, this always strikes me, this phrase. It says, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. They're not saying, Lazarus loves you. You need to come. They said, you need to come because you love Lazarus. You know, this seemed to be a house. This was a community. This was a family, a group of people that throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus hung out there pretty often. I don't know if it's because, you know, Martha made really awesome butter tarts. I'm not exactly sure what it was, if the cooking was awesome or what's going on. But we know that, that they had the confidence to say to Jesus, we can, not, we, we can tell, we know, we've seen by expression that Lazarus, the one you love, the one you love, he's not well come, come, please come. You've got to minister to him. He's not well. So I want to hang my hat on that favorite house. Don't you want to be Jesus' favorite house? Don't you want to be the place that he wants to come for dinner and for snacks and wants to hang out? Don't you be, want to be that? So we want to talk about what it is over the next several weeks, some of the values, some of the things that have to be present when you are that place that is his favorite house. Now look at this right here. I took this picture this morning at about seven o'clock. Sun was just coming up. But I looked at our sign when I was pulling in and you know the sign out front it says God loves you God loves you and, and you know Sue she takes care of the sign changing things and George has done some too but 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 Sue I said throw some other things on there I said throw things like you know how about coming to my house before the game God you know but Sue didn't put that one out but maybe maybe it was too long I don't know but but Sue put up God loves you and that was right uh Sue's own heart isn't that good you know, it's true, but I mean, the sign in front of this place says, God loves you. So I would reckon if I saw that sign and I came in, I should experience what that says. 
I reckon if I come in this house, what I should experience and what I should taste and what I should walk away with is he really does. He really does love me. I walked into a place where the love of God was there. I was impacted by people who not only love God and know that God loves him, but they love one another on purpose. And you know, the Bible says, how will they know that you're believers? It says, because they'll know that you love one another. You loving one another is the evidence, is the seal, is the hallmark that God's in the house. So love, love is a big deal. Love's got to go first. We're going to talk about love today. First John 3 verse 1 says, see how very much the Father loves us, for he has called us his children, and that's what we are. I love that. It's like John, when he wrote, he's called us his children. And then boom, it just hit him. Just saying that caused him to go, and we really are. It's funny. The Greek language there is intense. It's like he, he reacts to it. We're God's children. Yes, we really are. We are God's children. I love the, the King James says, behold, I mean, pay attention. I mean, let this grip you. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. We really are the children of God. When people walk in this place, they should experience God's love, but they should also experience the Father's family, the Father's house, and the Father's love tangibly manifest. Can I get a Hallelujah. All right, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Say new. It's a new commandment. Jesus said, I got a new covenant. The old covenant is fulfilled. So I got a new covenant and the new covenant just has this one command. It's got commissions, but it's also got one command. Here's the command. I command you that you love one another as I have loved you. Don't love one another, you know, out of your ability to try to please me or show that you're my child. But as I've loved you, as my love has been poured in your heart, as you've been invaded by my love, let the reality of that love overflow the banks of your life and minister the love of God to other people. Love one another as I have loved you, which is selflessly, unconditionally, I mean, just amazing. We said, oh, the reckless love of God. Well, the reckless love of God should be the standard of your life with other people. Man, really, pastor? Yeah, love, what is it? Sacrificially ascribing infinite worth to another. Sacrificially, even when you feel like, I feel crappy about that person. That's what it's a sacrifice. They drive me crazy. Sacrificially ascribing infinite worth to another. That's what we want people to experience, and that's the new commandment of a new covenant church. Can I get a hallelujah? All right, I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, this sermon, it has no handle. It cuts both ways. All right, here we go. Paul, in his goal for the church, when he went to Thessalonica, he was only there for a couple weeks, had an amazing revival. Then he sent other people to find out how they're doing. And here's kind of the standard that he was looking for. Here's how he knew the church was healthy. He said, they brought me good news, and they brought me good news about your faith and your love. Because you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're manifesting the realization, you're manifesting the hallmark of that belief because your love for others is an evidence. Second Thessalonians, he says, oh man, I'm so excited about you guys because your faith is growing exceedingly and the love of every one of you, every one of you, all your love, the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Your love of all abounds. So here he is. It's a faith that's exceedingly growing, but it's a love that is expressing itself and abounding in its expression. So love is a big, big deal in the house of God. 
Amen. It's a big deal. I mean, we got, there's orthodoxy. Now, we want to be orthodox. We want to get our beliefs right. But you can go to places where we argue about our beliefs because we're trying to get them right. And in arguing about our beliefs, we separate friendships. We separate relationships. And we'll, we'll push aside relationships because they don't believe the way I believe. We can't exalt what we believe over the people we're called to love. I question, do you really understand what you believe if you can't love the person in front of you? Your faith is growing exceedingly and your love for all, it abounds, it abounds. All right, let me give you another picture, all right? Now, this is a guy, I don't know if you can see the sign, but it's a homeless fella with a sign standing, you know, in a median. And yesterday, we uh, left the, the house, we had to go pick up some flooring. And when we left, we came down Richmond, and at Richmond and Fanshawe, there was a guy, had his knapsack over a sign, and he was walking up through the traffic. And he had a sign, he was homeless, we drove by, I was like, you know, I, it was terrible. I thought, I just want to go around the block and take a picture of the guy, but I thought that would be stupid, right? It'd be horrible. Because here's the guy, but I wanted to give you a picture today so you can Google a picture and find someone like that. And you go by people like that, you wonder why they're there. You wonder, what is it? What Homeless. You know, when we say welcome home, it's because I don't want you to be homeless. When we say welcome home, it's because we want you to be able to feel that you're accepted, you're loved, and you can be embraced in a place. But what puts a person in that situation where they don't have a home? What happens there? So you know what? I looked it up and I, I sought out a bunch of articles and a bunch of places. I said, what does it mean to be homeless? So I'm checking it all out. So here it is in the, the state of homelessness in Canada, 2013, Toronto, Canadian Homeless Research Network Press. It says, the causes of homelessness reflect the intricate interplay between structural factors, system failures, and individual circumstances. Homelessness is usually the result of a cumulative impact of a number of factors rather than a single cause. You know, there are people that are spiritually homeless. There are people that are no longer in church. They're no longer in places. There's some who've never even found their way to a church. They're just straight out homeless. They've never made a connection. But there's those three things, structural factors, system failures, and individual circumstances. So I kept reading and checked it out. It said structural factors are economic and societal issues, such as you could go through a recession and people could you know, lose their home and they can't afford it anymore and the bank takes it and suddenly they're homeless and they may not have family or other people that can help them and they literally find themselves living in their car or living in a shelter and trying to get their life back together. And that really, really happens to people. It really does. And, and this fellow on the street, he didn't, didn't look terribly beat up. He looked okay. But we had a fellow here, we did our community meals, and a fellow came in and, and straight up, I, I looked and I saw him there and I went, this guy looks like an accountant. I wonder what he's doing. He just, he didn't look like all, all the rest of the people that were there. So, so I, I sat down with him. I shared, hey, what's up? How are things going? And he told me he really was an accountant. He had been an accountant, but he had a complete nervous breakdown. He lost his job. He said, and then he just couldn't even function in his family. His wife kicked him out of the house. He had nowhere to go, and he's been living in the mission. But he said, I'm really, really thankful for this meal. But here was a guy who a year before was a practicing accountant who had a home, had a family, had everything, and here he was, and he had some things happen in his life that he found himself homeless. And he's without a home. And I was like, wow. 
And I prayed with him and said, man, I'm, I'm really sorry. You know, we're, we're here and we're here to help. And he just appreciated the meal. So there's a lot of reasons. There's system failures. There's poor transitions from facilities or, or care facilities or prisons or other places. There's, there's folks who get out of, uh, you know, hospitals. They may have a, a stint with a, a mental issue, an illness or something. And suddenly they're, they're released. But there's, there's the systems have broken down so much that they have nowhere to go and, and, or where they've been placed they don't like. And they'd rather be alone and on the street than than in relationship, because now it's not only a fact that they don't have a roof over their head, they're emotionally bankrupt, broken, hurt, and in pain. I mean, some of that has to do with personal things too, because there's some people, this family breakup, violence, abuse, addictions, accidents, traumas, there's all kinds of things can affect people where it just causes their whole world to fracture, and then they find themselves homeless. And, and that's a terrible thing, isn't it? Because I'm putting up a sign here, and I'm saying, welcome home. I'm putting out a sign out on the street. It says, you know, God loves you. And yet there's all kinds of people who are broken messes in the world and they really, really need to experience the love of God. They need to experience what the house of God can do. And we got so many testimonies in this house of people whose lives have been put back together and restored. And I mean, I love Natoya's testimony because she was broken, hopeless, moved to another city, didn't know if she could get it back together again. But she got in a community that nurtured her back to health and now she started her own business and all of that in like three months. It's amazing what can happen in a community of love. But you see, when people are homeless, when they're broken, when they, they can't seem to pull it together, or you get even spiritually homeless and you feel broken, you know, people need to know and they need to tangibly not experience what you believe. They got to feel the love of God really coming from people's hearts and lives. And so we really want to be a place where, and I want to be a person like that, not just a pastor, but I want to be a person who really knows how to manage that and manifest that. And at the start of the year, when we started with ask, the whole aspect to ask was, I really got into contemplation and reflection and really honestly evaluating myself with outer standards and not, not my own grid of measuring things, but really challenged, who are you, Carl? What are you doing? And as I felt that we need to be the family of God, we need need to be authentic to who we are, and we need to minister to that to a culture. Can I get an amen? amen. Or I got to move on. Can I move on? I got to go. So I'm just trying to, I'm trying to dig a hole to bring you out of it and do that. So, so here we are. So, so Jesus talked about real life stuff too. I mean, here's Jesus. He talked about a prodigal. He said, there was a kid who lived in a home and he basically said, dad, give me my inheritance because you know what? I want to live it my life. I want to do it my way. I don't want to be under your roof anymore. He went and did his own thing. We know he wasted everything and he found himself homeless. He found himself feeding pigs and even eating what the pigs were eating. And it says, he finally thought to himself, even my dad's servants are better than this. So I'll go back to my dad and ask, could I be a slave? Could I serve in your house? But what he found out was, welcome home, son. What he found out was the father loves you. He's always loved you. It doesn't matter a rip about what you've ever done or where you've been. I don't care what you smell like, where you've been, what you did. I just want you in my arms. I just want you in my world. And I've never stopped loving you for a minute. Fantastic story. It's the Good Samaritan. I mean, we got a guy who gets beat up and a trauma, I mean, a tragic, a, a traffic accident that left him. He could have died right there. There he is out in the elements. He's homeless. He's broken. He's messed up. And Jesus says, that's your neighbor. That's the person you're supposed 
supposed to love. And Jesus said the one who loved them was the Samaritan. People you hate, that guy showed up and he ministered to the needs of that person. And he really touched that person. He helped the person who had been attacked and in crisis. And he dealt with it. He talked about, well, he didn't talk about, but he went to the widow at Nain. I mean, here's a widow. She's a widow in Nain whose only son is going to die. And Jesus showed up just in time to say, rise up, son, and gave the son back to the mother and restored hope to her world. We got to be a place. We are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. We are the church of God. And you know what? The love has to be not something we talk about as a belief. It has to be something that is in practice and that's really, really demonstrated. Can I get an amen? All the feelers in the house say, man, I'm feeling you. Okay, that's good. Thank you very much. All right. So, 1 John 3, 14 to 16. You're going to read the whole thing. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. Oh, my goodness. Like, that's, that's harsh. Is that not harsh? Why would you throw that language in the middle of a text about love? I mean, oh, my goodness. Seems a bit extreme, does it not? Is it just me? How many read your Bible every word and interact with it? A murderer at heart. I'm like, wow. It says, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life within them. I mean, if you hate your brother or sister, you're a murderer at heart, and they do not have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Oh, praise Jesus. Come on, let's do a course of kumbaya. Kumbaya. My... Okay, good. That was good. All right, it's good. So I'm going to try and dig us out of a hole. I'm going to try and dig us out of this murderous situation that we're in, and we're going to get all the way to love, all right? All right, you're going to track with me? We're going to get to love. But we got to deal with this. We got hate. We got murder. We got all this stuff. But we, we got to get us to the place of love. How many say, help me, pastor. Get me out of this hole you dug me. All right, here we go. Here we go. Here it is. Let's go. Number one, hate precedes murder. Hate precedes murder. Genesis 37, 4, 5, and then 18, we got, we got Joseph and his family, and they, Joseph, it says, and this is awful that the father had that kind of divided heart, but it says the father loved Joseph more than all the other brothers, and they saw it, they knew it, so they hated him. You don't have to hate your brother just because your dad loves him more. That's not his problem or your problem, but they decided to hate him. Is that, you got that one, Julia? You've lived that? You feeling that sometimes? Are you confessing now? You're the favorite. Oh, well, that's good. I'm the favorite too, so I never had a problem. So, but, but the father loved him more, so they hated him. So they hated him. Then Joseph had a dream about being really special, and he told his special dream to his brothers and his father. So it says, and they hated him even more. So that went on. It says, even before he came near them, here's the one they hated. They conspired against him to kill him. Now, thankfully, one of the brothers intervened, and instead of killing him, they just f faked that he was killed, gave that bad report to his father, and he got sent off into slavery. Man, but you see, all I want to show you here is just, it's all over the Bible. You can look at uh, cities of refuge and all these other places, and even the statutes on what happens to murderers. When you study, go do a word study on murder and hate. They're connected in the Bible, because murder is preceded by hate. Hate. Number two, number two, anger precedes hate. Anger. Anger precedes hate. So, wow. Genesis 4, 1 to 8. And Cain was very angry. 
I mean, he brought a sacrifice and God said, hey, come on, you know what to do, you can do better. And he accepted his brother's sacrifice, so he's mad at his brother and he's mad at God. And instead of just addressing his own personal issue, let's blame everybody else for this. And you know what? I'm so annoyed with you, I'm just gonna take you out. So sure enough, anger precedes hate. It says, and Cain was very angry, his countenance fell. God says, chill, man, sin's at the door. And he said, hey, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. And he killed him. So anger precedes hate. Are we tracking okay? You're all right? I, I know we're all resurrection and truth and glory and wonderful. And now, oh my goodness, pastor, what are you doing to us? Let's go, let's go. I just want to say this about an offense always precedes anger. An offense precedes anger. But, but now, how many have ever seen water boil on a stove? How many have never seen it? I don't see it often because we replace the kitchen with a drive-thru. So we just have a window. <laughs> The pizza man just drives around the house now, and we just, that's not true. I'm just kidding. Cheryl's the best cook ever. <laughs> when I can get her in the kitchen, it's really, really awesome. Don't get offended, I'm telling you, because you get offended right now, at least a murder, so we don't want to get there. All right, so it's bad stuff. So, so uh, water boiling, water boiling, all right? So do you know that the heat comes, there's more heat, there's more pressure, there's more pressure, there's more heat, there's more heat, it's more pressure, more going on, all of a sudden, isn't it amazing, it's 100 degrees Celsius, they decided that 100, when water boils, it's 100 degrees Celsius, water just starts to explode, boom, boom, it doesn't even matter if the heat goes up, water is exploding at 100 degrees Celsius, you can't stop it, water will blow up at 100, boom, it's off the chart, poof, coming out of the pot, water boils, when it gets to 100 Celsius, I can't take it anymore, poof, and that's what happens. So how do you stop water from boiling at 100 degrees Celsius? Actually, the only way you're going to stop that explosion from happening is not having water in the pot at all. Then you can turn the heat up all you want, and you're not going to have anything going on because there's actually nothing in the pot. Now, if you are the pot and you've got anger in you, that anger will manifest if the pressure gets turned up enough. And the only way to not have, I don't know about you, but I've had a couple of boiling experiences. It's not funny, Deborah. It was, it was messy. <laughs> Just all heads bowed, eyes closed. Anyone else want to confess they might have boiled? Now, Chuck, you've never boiled. Now, Colleen, because of the Dorito, she's called several times. <laughs> she's boiled. But, you know, what we got to do is we got to get rid of what's in the pot. So I got to realize that it's not the stuff around me. It's not that it got really hot. It's that I got something in my pot that's blowing up. And you know, it's still there. And if I don't address it, if I kind of, I kept it down, kept it down, and I don't deal with it, sooner or later, you're going to get in a place where that's going to manifest. And because your emotions come out of your subconscious and they're involuntary, sometimes it happens and you didn't even mean for it to happen. And when it's all done, you're going, why'd that happen? But you know what? You got to deal with it. You got to deal with the anger. So where's anger come from? Anger comes from an offense precedes anger. All right? Mark chapter 6, 1 to 3. And many hearing him were astonished. Say astonished. They were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? Where did he get these things? And then they said, isn't he the carpenter's son? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, he's just a carpenter's son, and he's coming in here all eloquent-like and telling us all this business. And they were astonished. It says, but then, when they thought about it, they were offended. 
And when they got offended at him, Luke chapter four, if you read that, it says they were filled with wrath. And then that wrath overflowed to where they literally took him to the cliff and wanted to kill him. So literally, it all started with, it was a Sunday morning service. And they said, Jesus, would you like to do the reading today? And he said, sure. He came up, took the scroll that was for that day, opened it up, and he read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. And he started to read this whole messianic thing. And then when he sat down, he said, it's fulfilled today in your hearing. I am the Messiah. And they went, what? Kaboom, you're a carpenter's son. We know you. I will babysat you, change your nappy. And they wanted to throw him off a cliff. I always thought that word astonished was interesting. Here, I'll show you the word astonished. The word astonished means to strike, to expel by a blow, or to drive out or drive away. I used to think astonished, man, he was teaching so good that they were, it was so cool. But they weren't really, it's so cool. They were literally starting to foam with the mouth. I want to beat you. I want to expel you. I want to drive you out of my presence. That's what was going on. So you know what precedes all of this stuff before you get to the point where you want to throw somebody over a cliff? It starts with getting offended, which leads to anger. And if that anger is not dealt with, it leads to hatred. And if that hatred is not confronted, you end up, don't do it. All right, good. Say thank you, Pastor. That was good. So today is fulfilled. You're Give me another slide. Here we go. Number four, unfulfilled ex- expectations precede offenses. Unfulfilled expectations precede. Have you ever been... Have you ever gone to a restaurant, expected a good meal, and you got a crappy one? Did I say crappy in church? Did I? You ever gone, you expected something to be good, and you, you're taking friends with you, and you're like, you're going to love this restaurant. You show up, and it's miserable, and you're just like, oh, my goodness. And then what do you say right there when you're walking out the door? What do you say? You say, I'm never coming back here again. You know, because that wasn't at all what I expected, you know. I had one time the keg, the keg, the keg. I love the keg. But I went to the keg, and I got this worst piece of prime rib. It was like carved off the end. It just flopped on my plate. It was just, I was like, what am I doing here? But anyways, you have expectations. Folks, the problem is we have expectations. We expect people. We expect situations, circumstances. We expect performance. We expect things to go a certain way. And we get offended when it doesn't go the way we thought it would. John the Baptist, he sent us, here it is, Jesus came to the town where he's in prison. His own cousin, John the Baptist, is the one who said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I must decrease, he must increase. I'm here to usher in his ministry. Jesus comes to town to do a revival in the town that he's in jail. He's in jail, his cousin's in jail unjustly at that town that Jesus came to do seven days of meetings. And when he got there, he never even visited John. I mean, if my cousin was in jail anywhere and I showed up and was doing five weeks of business, I'd say hello. But John, the cousin of Jesus, not even a visit, not a word, didn't even send flowers, nothing. So here's John. He's like, man, here's how far it went. John said, somebody go say, are you the Messiah or should we look for someone else? Because if you're really the Messiah, you should at least visit people in jail. Even when it's your relative. I mean, if you're really the Messiah, you stink. I mean, this is a crisis for this guy. He says, are you? And then what does Jesus do? Jesus says, doesn't even talk to him. He says, watch this. He heals people. He sets people free. He ministers to people. He manifests the kingdom. He says, go tell that you see the kingdom in manifestation. He sends them back. And then Jesus says this. He turns to the crowd and he says, blessed is he who is not offended at me. Blessed is he who is not offended at me. I got to show you quick another slide. You ready? 
Scandalizo, that's the word, the stumbling stone. That's where it comes from. To put a stumbling block or impediment in the way of another, that they may trip or fall, a metaphor to offend. Comes from the word scandalon, which means a movable stick or a trigger of a trap. Now this scandal, this offense is a trigger for a trap. It's a trigger for a trap. Let me show you. You see that right there? You see that stick? I know you want the cheeseburger. I know I do. They've taken me off of red meat, and I'm like, I walk through the market just drooling at the red meat. I literally, Cheryl was shopping, and I was just standing at the meat counter just looking. I tell you, right there, I was like, look at that, look at that. You know what that stick is called in the Greek? That stick is called a scandalon. Right there, there's a scandalon. That whole entrapment is called a scandalon. So literally, a scandalon is something that, that you can even give the rope to the devil. And he becomes the one who's hanging on to that rope because you have said, if they do that to me again, I'm gonna... You just gave the rope to the devil. Because you know what? That is gonna happen again. And he's gonna pull that stick and that box gonna land in your head and you're gonna be trapped in a fence. Is this fun or what? Hey, man, pastor, we're doing it today. This, and that's what that is. It's scandal on. Bam, that's what that word is. You know, I've had, had people, the people in this church, I've, I've had times with where they've done it in ways like this. We had somebody who we're working with who, who really out of nowhere had suicidal tendencies and was just not at all like them. Prayed for them in the name of Jesus. We cast that down. A week later, Again, suicidal. You know, what is going on? I can't believe this is happening. So I said, let's dig into this. Let's go further. What's happened in your life? And sure enough, boom, a memory came to him and he said, wow, it's exactly seven years since my wife kicked me out of my house. And I said on that day, if I'm not back with my wife in seven years, I will kill myself. And he said, it's seven years. It's seven years to the day right this week. And he said suddenly this, he gave a rope, he gave a scandal on to the devil, and the devil said, I'm collecting, and I'm going to trap you with your own words. And that's where when we confess that stuff, when we embrace offense and we let that get into our hearts and we don't deal with it, it'll lead all the way. It'll lead to offense, to, to hatred, and you know, your expectations did not get met, and then this whole pattern goes on. I got to move on. Are you okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm okay. Okay, here we go. Three things you can do with a stumbling stone. It's a stumbling stone. That's what a scandalize is, scandalize. It's a stumbling stone. What can you do? Three things. You ready? Number one, you can step over it. Turn to your neighbor and say, step over it. Sadly, though, some people trip over it. And they have a fall and a difficult time. But sadly, some people even pick it up and carry it. And you go, look, Brian, look, look what they threw in my path. Can you believe it? And they say they love me. I'm going to put it in with my other rocks. <laughs> Step over it. Don't trip over it. And don't pick it up. Let it go. Let's go quickly. i got to finish this. Forgiveness precedes love. What? Forgiveness precedes love. Because love is where we want to go. But I say, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I mean, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't love other people unless, first of all, you've forgiven them. And forgiveness precedes that love. You can't manifest the love of God flowing through your heart if there's a wall there of, you are my enemy. I am ticked off with you. I am. If you won't let go of the rock... You can't operate in love. 
What do we want this church to be? We want it to be a real, genuine, loving church, right? Amen. Not kumbaya and then knives in the back, but the real deal, folks. Wow, pastor, this is, okay, number, now go ahead, Genesis 25. This is Esau. Remember Esau and Jacob? And Jacob, he took Esau's birthright. I mean, really, Esau gave it away, but Esau was ticked off with it. But here's what he said. After I've mourned for my father, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. He made that declaration, I'm going to kill him. And he laid it out there, but sure enough, here, here's Jacob. He's coming back. His name is now Israel. He's coming into his destiny, but there's this unresolved issue with his brother. And as he comes back crossing the river into his destiny, he's going, oh no, my brother is coming with 400 men. Last time I saw him, he said he wants to kill me. So I mean, Jacob went through all kinds of crazy stuff right there because he's so terrified. Fear makes you do crazy things. You know, but he, he's trying to deal with it. Then he sees his brother, and then it says his brother ran to meet him. I'm sure Jacob's like, oh, oh, oh. And when his brother got there, he fell on him. He threw his arms around his neck. He kissed him, and they both wept. Why was Esau able to do that? Quite clearly, that rage and that hurt and that pain that he had, it's gone. I've forgiven you. It's gone. I've forgiven you. And then there's Jacob going, I wish you would have sent me an email because I'm telling you, I've gone through a lot of trouble the last couple of days. I might have got an ulcer. I don't know. But sometimes we're worried about things that aren't even real. They don't even exist. But Esau ran to meet him and he fell on his neck. I've told you the story before about my brothers when I got let out of jail and they weren't there to pick me up. But I walked to my brother's house. I saw both their cars in the driveway. It was early in the morning. And, you know, my brothers were mad at me because I was selfish and I was wrecking our world. And my mom's in the hospital with high blood pressure. And I just said, all of you, leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. Stop it. And I thought, this is it. So we would fight. That's what we would do. We would fight. And it was physical and it was unpleasant. So I thought, you know what, I'm tired, so I'm just gonna go in the kitchen, we're gonna dance, and I don't care what happens, then I'm gonna sleep. So I walked in the kitchen, I said, let's do this. And they both turned around, they walked over, they grabbed me, they hugged me, and began to cry profusely. I was like, this is the worst beating I've ever taken. And I literally felt like a disembodied spirit across the room said, what happened? How'd I get over here? I think I got delivered with the hug of my brothers who chose not to be offended by me, but chose to love me. And they chose to embrace me. And they said, Carl, we love you. And that was the biggest deliverance of my life. Turned my life totally around and put me towards where I am today. I'm going quick now. I'm going fast. Only got a couple more slides. Ephesians 4.32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as the Lord Christ has forgiven you. Ready? The word forgiveness there is to bestow grace unconditionally. To bestow grace on someone else unconditionally. I forgive you. Not the words, but literally to bestow grace unconditionally on another person. Incredible stuff. Give me another slide. All right. Receiving love. Last one. This is the last one. Receiving love precedes giving love. Receiving love, it says we love each other because he loved us. We give and we bestow unconditional grace on people who we like. No, people who you think hurt you, people who offend you, people who you believe absolutely are wrong. Those are the people you forgive. You don't forgive the people that you're in a great relationship with. You forgive the people that tick you off. We bestow grace and unmerited and and unconditional favor on other people. And why do you do it? Because you were loved like that. You got to receive love if you're going to give love. Look at this. I want you to read this. If you feel like you have to earn forgiveness from God, you'll expect other people to earn forgiveness from you. Let me read it again. 
If you feel like you have to earn forgiveness from God, you'll make other people earn forgiveness from you. But if you realize I did nothing to be in this relationship with my heavenly father, and when you realize that, you realize that nobody has to do anything to be in a position where you bestow unlimited, unmerited favor on them. I think I got one more. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another, sacrificially ascribing infinite worth to another. And that's really, I had to start there because if we're going to talk about the culture of who we are, if we're going to say, welcome home, if I want you to come into this house, to the house of God, if I'm asking you to come, this is the house. If I'm going to put on the sign out front, God loves you, then I want them to experience that when they come through the doors. If the sign on the building says shawarmas, I don't want to walk in and go, can I have a shawarma? Yeah, we don't do that. I want a shawarma. People drive by, they see God loves you. I'll experience God's love in that house. And as your pastor, wow, I need more harmony in my life. I need, I need to go press deep. I need to get some of these boulders out of my bag. I've picked up boulders and I've had offenses in my life that instead of stepping over them, instead of even tripping on them, I picked them up, put them in my bag and said, I'll file that one on you. I, gotta, I wanna get rid of my boulders. I'm just, I'm done with it. It's, it's exhausting. It's just exhausting. I can't do it. And I don't want people to come in here and learn from me entanglement and bitterness. I want people who see a sign God loves you to really come into a place where it's practiced, it's manifest, and it's real. Come on, stand up with me. You okay? You all right? All right. Listen, I just want you to bow your heads and just pray, okay? All the believers, we're praying. We're praying, praying, praying. I don't know everyone here today. I don't know all you folks. And I don't know where you're at with God. I don't know if you really know how much he loves you because he really does. It's not just on the sign. It's his heart. It's the Father's love towards you. And I want you to know him. I do. And if you don't know him or you're not sure, I, I don't know, I, but I want to be sure today. I want to step over the offenses. I want to experience a relationship with God. I want to be restored to my heavenly father. I'm a prodigal. I'm away from home and I want to be welcomed home. If that's you, I want to pray for you. So everybody's not looking around. They're looking in their own hearts. They're praying for you. But listen, if that's you and you're not sure... If you're in the Father's house, if you're in his love, if you got a relationship with him, you don't know, I want you to know that today. So listen, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to go one, two, three. And then I want you to put up your hand and say, look, pray for me. Pray for me today because I don't know. I'm not sure, but I want in. I want in. So when I count to three, you put your hand up. All right, you ready? One, two, three. Just lift your hand up really high so I can see it. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? You can still do it right now. Just say, pray for me. Pray for me. Anyone else? Let's all pray together. Would you pray with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I want you to be my Savior. I believe my sins are forgiven. I believe I'm healed. And I believe I'm free. Come into my life be the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, testify right now clearly to me that I am a child of God. 
in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Wowzers. Hey, can I get everybody who's on the prayer team to come on up front and come on up here and just get ready? And, you know, there's always time for ministry at the altar. If you need prayer for anything, if you need to drop off some boulders before you go, if you got some big offense rocks that you're carrying around and you want to drop them at the altar, you can do that too. If you want to drop them in your chair, that's fine. We'll pick them up later and throw them out. But get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. Let's be honest about it and let's just stop it. Let's get rid of it. It's a house of love. It's a house of grace. It's a house of God's goodness. Amen. Not by theory, but by practice. It really, really is. So can you do something for me one more time? Just bow your heads, close your eyes one more time. Come on up if you want prayer. But just bow your heads, close your eyes one more time. All right? Nobody looking around because I'm serious. Just want you to, you know, do business right now yourself. If you want to say, Pastor, you know what? That touched me today. And really, I do need to let something go. Some things came really clearly to my mind. God and the Holy Spirit really brought some things right to the surface. And I want to let it go. And nobody's looking around, so don't worry about it. But if that's you, would you put your hand up right now? I just want to pray for you before we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My hand's up. It's okay. Let it go. Let it go. All right. Put your hands down. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. And it's because you love. You know, I can't give love if I haven't received love. And we just want to receive a fresh baptism of your love. I want to receive a fresh baptism of your love, of your unmerited favor and grace in my life. Because I want to be someone who freely received so I can freely give. And so thank you right now. I just cut off these boulders, these rocks. I'm not carrying it anymore. And thank you for loving me. Let the revelation of your love so baptize me that literally I'm not sticky to offense anymore, but it falls off me. Just Teflon me with your love so that, Lord, nothing sticks. And let me just be a minister of your grace every day. So, Lord, bless this house. Lord, we thank you. Bless everyone that's here. Lord, I pray that your love would invade every heart. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your wonderful grace would wrap each and every one of us. And Holy Spirit, thank you for your divine partnership. As we go now to minister, to manifest the love of God in this community, we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome day. And so thank you. Love you so much. Crazy affection for you. Pray you have an awesome week. All right. Don't forget small groups. Please get to a small group. Everybody gets to a small group.